For those of you who don't know me, my name is Billy. I'm a pastor elder here at the church. And um, we are continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. Today we're uh, talking about spirit freedom, Holy Spirit freedom. We're going to jump right into the Word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. Verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Mark chapter 5, verse 15, says they came to Jesus And they saw the man who had been demon-possessed. He's sitting there. He's dressed. And he's in his right mind. And they were afraid. Church, this is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. And we thank you for your Spirit. And today, God, we, we need both in our lives. We need the Word in order to walk. We need the Spirit to teach us and instruct us and give us the strength to walk. And so, God, we pray for both that you would instruct us and teach us and convict us and lead us. Pray for power to walk and to identify in our gospel identities in Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's been a lot written about freedom. Thomas Jefferson wrote on behalf of a a, a soon-to-be nation. He said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator, by God, with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, which is freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. God created us to live in freedom. We are wired by God to be a free people. This fact is so obvious that our government even recognizes this truth. God created us to be free. And right now, many in our church are experiencing personal deliverance by God. God bringing freedom where there had been bondage or brokenness or just a sense of stuckness, like we were stuck and the Lord is dislodging us, or the Lord is dealing with things in our life and and getting us to move in the Spirit again. And today, today we're not going to, I'm not preaching the sermon that I've been preparing a few weeks to preach, because as a church, we're discovering and learning to walk in true freedom. And so today is the day, even though I was supposed to wrap up the Holy Spirit series and teach on Holy Spirit and mission and how we go out into the world, we're saving that for another Sunday. That's not what the Lord has been telling me to preach this week in our prayer meetings, and our staff prayer meetings. 50 people at corporate prayer on Wednesday night. 50 people, that's more people that, that attended some of the smaller churches I went to when I was younger. 50 people came out to pray. The Holy Spirit is doing something in the church. And so we, today we celebrate and we endeavor to walk in what the Lord is wanting to do right now. As a special season for us as a church, as a group of Christians who worship together. We are seeing Jesus deliver people right here, right now. People are surrendering their lives to Jesus. 
uh, they're being saved. People are being set free. People are being healed. And some people are being just brought into a place of hope. Some people are being brought into a new season where anxiousness isn't at the wheel of their life. And some people are being set free for the first time as adults from fear. The Lord has been and is tearing down walls of fear, brokenness, bondage, and he's pulling us out of places where we were stuck. And so I recognize that it must be difficult for people to be at Reality Ventura in this season if you're not the person who wants the Lord to tear down walls or deal with fear and bondage in your life. If you're like, hey, I'm okay. I think I've kind of got things pretty well balanced. This, this might be an uncomfortable season. Like, why are they going on so much about this work that the Lord is doing? Well, it's because it's what's happening right now. There's so much happening. The Lord is setting people free. Many people have been physically, emotionally, psychologically released from bondage. We've had people come up and share testimonies in the recent weeks about this happening all summer. Just like Dom, Dominic shared with you, I've had the same experience all week this week. People contacting me or when I run into them, just, man, you're not going to believe what the Lord is doing in my life. Many people are finding true hope after months and maybe even years of despair. And so last week, Dom asked people to stand if they felt the Lord leading them out of a place where they were stuck, if they wanted the Lord to release them from bondage or brokenness in their lives. And we kind of had like a little thought or a plan, like, well, we'll have the prayer team kind of mobilize and go out and pray for them. Well, first service, okay, which is not the service that you would expect this from, first service, almost everybody stood. (laughs) We're like, okay, plan B, real quick, right? Second service, very similar. It was like this massive response. Clearly, that is the Lord moving, and He continues to move. And so how do we follow that up, right? How are we now to walk today in light of what the Lord is doing in us? And Monday morning, uh, at our, we, we gather early in the morning on Mondays, and we're praying as a staff, and the Lord showed me a picture uh, of what this looked like. It's a baby, uh, a big, fat, cute baby, right? And it's right at that season where they want to start walking. And I know fat babies. We have fat babies, right? (laughs) And let me just read to you what I wrote that morning, what I saw. I said, I see a fat baby. (laughs) Trying to stand on wobbly knees. And he's wanting to walk, right? He's at that age. And his father kneels down. He puts his hands around those big chubby legs. And he leads the baby to take a step. And then there's another. And the baby's wobbly, right? Our kids, their heads are too big and their bodies, right? Wobbly, teetering on weak legs, underdeveloped muscles. But the father patiently lets the baby rest in his strong hands as he leads the child to take another step. The perfect pace for this young baby to learn how to walk. See, the Father wants to direct His children's steps. I believe that's a a word for our church right now. And so don't be discouraged if you are not running spiritually. Be with your Father and move at the pace that He sets for you. Because if you're with God, you are right where you should be. If you're with God, you're in the sweet spot. Pace doesn't matter. Presence is what matters. It's not the pace 
kind of culture will tell you that. It's not. It's not the pace. It's the presence that matters. Learning to walk in freedom for many of us is new. And it might seem strange because it's new. New things seem strange to us. If you've experienced a new freedom this last week or in this season of life, you might be asking, well, shouldn't I be feeling different? Shouldn't I be feeling like just uh, like this new thing? Not necessarily. This is just the beginning. God started a work. We know he's faithful to complete it, but it's still a new work. Now we get to walk in step with our loving Father. And so we're tempted to ask the question, okay, that's awesome. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do today? And with humility, I want to suggest to you that maybe that question, what do I do, maybe that's not the right question for us to ask. We come by that question honestly because we live in a performance-driven culture. We live in a culture that tells us that the better you do, the better you are. And so we kind of intrinsically identify with our ability to perform. And so it's easy for us to conclude that now that the Lord has done his part, it's time for us to do ours. Like we're supposed to get busy and show God that he didn't waste his energies or his, you know, his salvation effort on us as people that like, no, look, I was a good candidate, God. No, that is not the place the Holy Spirit has brought us to. Nor is that what the Bible teaches. Rather than asking, what do I do now? Let's ask, what has God done? We're going to take a look at what has God done. Because salvation is a work of grace. It's a work of grace that is done by God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is a loaded theological statement. Salvation is a work of grace done by God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And likewise, our Christian walk, our lives, are also a work of grace that are done with God through faith in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Isn't that, that, that's intimacy language there. Continue to live in Him. See, the word gospel, right, we talk about the gospel a lot at the church. The word gospel literally means good news. It is good news that God stepped out of heaven and did for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. It is good news that God stepped out of heaven and did for us, that Jesus did for us on the cross what he wasn't willing to even do for himself. He hung on the cross and gave his life so that we might have life. The sinless exchanging places with the sinful. The gospel is good news. And this good news refers to more than just the act or the point of salvation. It speaks to our walk. How do we walk? The gospel is this ongoing reality in the life of the Christian. Because it's not good news. It wouldn't be gospel good news to say that once you've been saved, you now need to start working hard to perform well to earn your place before God. Because we've been saved from the slavery of our sin, and we have been saved from the endless cycle of trying to earn approval from God, and we've been saved from the endless cycle of needing to earn approval from others. Galatians 5.1 says it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. See, misunderstanding 
and misapplying the gospel is dangerous and can lead back into slavery. And here's how. Because when we fail to grasp the full blessing of the gospel and we fail to apply it in our lives, it will always end up leading us into, or we always end up falling into one of two errors. There's one of two places where we go. We either go to pride, we end up in a place of pride, or we end up in a place of shame. And many of us suffer from one, and at alternate times, possibly both of these issues, pride and shame. And we either feel incorrectly good about who we are, and we feel incorrectly good about what we've done or what we feel like we're able to do, or the alternate of that is we feel incorrectly bad about who we are and what we've done. See, thinking that I'm too good or that I'm too bad is a broken way of thinking. And some of us, myself included, I vacillate between the two, between pride and shame in my life. These broken ways of thinking, they affect how we see ourselves, they affect how we see God, and they affect how we see and treat one another. Because when we think too highly of ourselves, here's how we get, okay? I'm an expert at this, so take notes. This is how we get when we think too highly of ourselves. We're cold, we're cruel, we're demanding, and we're critical. We're cold, we're cruel, we're demanding, and we're critical. And when we live in shame, when we're ashamed of ourselves, we try too hard to please others. Both of these lead to a lifetime of bad, unhealthy, dysfunctional behaviors and bad, unhealthy, dysfunctional relationships. And so the fix for this, the fix for these patterns that we fall into is thinking and applying the truth of the gospel to our lives and to our identity. To trust that Jesus has done everything necessary to save us and to satisfy us. Jesus saves us and he satisfies us. Because God change, changes us. He, he, we're no longer the same people we once were as we live out the gospel truth about who we are in Christ. When we allow the Holy Spirit to not just minister once, but lead us in walking and living out this new identity in Christ. God changes how we think about our identity, how we live. He changes how we view and walk with God and how we live relationally with one another. See, God frees us from the need to be better than other people, and he frees us from the need to seek the approval of people. And so for those who are enslaved by the need to impress God, listen, you need to hear today, the gospel says that you have not and you cannot impress God. God doesn't love you because you're impressive to him. For those who are enslaved by the need to impress other people for approval, the gospel says to you that you have all the approval possible in God. That God loves you because you are a child of God. It's like when my kids come to me all proud because they drew a fire truck, right? Now, I love it because it's from my kids. But the artwork is horrible, right? (laughs) My kids are terrible artists. I mean, just being honest with you, it's the same way as it is with God. We come with our best efforts, right? And God's like, oh, that's cute. But it's, it's not about the art, right? I don't put it on the refrigerator because I'm like, hey, check this out, everybody, right? <laughs> Maybe like, hey, look how cute my kid is. He thinks that's a fire truck. But we're like, oh, good job, Shem. You used red this time on the fire truck, right? Like, I, lo- I love it because he's my son. And, and I affirm him in that. 
Because he's doing his best, and I want to build character and affirmation. I I want him to know that his father loves him and is proud of him. And see, the gospel changes our identity, where we no longer feel like we need to perform for God in order to have the approval of God. The gospel frees us from drawing our identity from the destructive trap of walking on our own, trying to achieve, accomplish, find meaning and purpose and acceptance on our own. See, when we're saved, Jesus gives us a new identity. He gives us his identity. We're loved by the Father as Jesus is loved by the Father. We're given power to walk in this identity as sons and daughters even. The same power, the Bible tells us, that rose Jesus from the dead. And the Holy Spirit gives us real power. That is Holy Spirit freedom. That is Holy Spirit freedom. Listen, it's not that we don't have to obey God or that we don't live lives that obey God. We do obey God. Listen to what we're talking about today. See, the gospel changes our motives and our heart for obedience, though. Our motive is no longer to earn God's favor, but to enjoy life in Christ with God. And our heart for obedience, it's not to try harder to please God, but to be transformed by God. If we've been accepted by God through Christ, then we know that we cannot earn God's acceptance through our own good behavior. We were stuck, and we needed a Savior. We needed to be saved. And falling into a works mindset, an earning-your-place-in-heaven mindset, is a distortion of the good news of the gospel, and it leads to fear, and it leads to bondage, and it leads to broken relationships. And as Christians, listen, this is, this is huge. The Lord has really been ministering this to my heart. As Christians, we should be less concerned with personal performance and more deeply concerned that we continue to teach ourselves and teach others to apply the finished work of Jesus to our daily lives. We're so performance-oriented that we forget that it's a finished work by grace. So what do we do, right? Back to that bad question. This last, wor- this last week, over and over again, I, I was given the word, and people were just talking about just how they've been led to abide. Like, man, this week I'm just abiding in Christ. And abide is such a powerful word. Um, it's a word that, that we see in the life of Jesus, and it's, it's brought into effect uh, at an interesting point in Jesus's ministry. He lives the first three years of his life calling people to follow him, right? From the very first disciples on, on through, his, his disciples were called followers, and even people who weren't like above, of the twelve, there was multitudes of people following him, and you see the religious leaders and uh, referring to them as followers, and Jesus referring them to follow them, and he would say, follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. And then there's this shift in the book of John. At the very end of Jesus's life, he's about to go up into heaven, where he's no longer saying, follow me. He's now saying, abide in me. And Paul takes this a step further, and he says that his new life is actually hidden in Christ. See, the language of abiding and this language of being hidden in Christ, it speaks of tremendous intimacy. This language has nothing to do with what we have done. It has nothing to do with the value that we bring to the table in this relationship. This is freedom language. This is gospel language. The Holy Spirit's gift of freedom in our life, it flows from a well of intimacy with Christ. 
This gift of freedom is not a standalone gift. It's not like the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or the gift of teaching. Or There's a lot of gifts that God just gives people, and they kind of grow in those gifts over time. You guys probably know people like that in your life. You've seen them grow in their gifts, and it's like a gift that God's given them. The, the gift of this freedom is not like that. Freedom is attached to it. It flows from a spring of intimacy with Christ. And so it's just like if you needed water, you'd go to a spring, right, or, or a spigot in our culture. If you want freedom, you, you go to Jesus. You go and abide in Christ. And we don't just drink from this spring. We're called and invited by Christ to abide in this. Freedom is the fruit of abiding in Christ. John chapter 15. Hear this invitation, this beautiful offer of Jesus. He says, abide in me. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, not abiding in me, for apart from me you can do nothing. What are we able to do apart from abiding in Christ? Well, what about how awesome you are? What about all your good ideas and your gifts and your talents? What about how good you are at making and saving money? What about how t- gifted you are musically, artistically? But we need to hear this today. We can do nothing apart from Christ. Picture this. We're in Christ. We're hidden in Christ. Abiding, living, rooted. Everything about our life starts and ends with Jesus. What Jesus has started in your life, he's faithful to finish. In any and all fruit in our life true fruit in our life is from Jesus. And so how do we respond to what God is doing? How do we abide in Christ? We have that that temptation. So what am I supposed to do? I want to offer a picture. Uh, We're going to look at the picture that we saw last week that Dominic read in Mark chapter 5. It's a picture of that demoniac that was set free last week uh, as we read. This is a demoniac that was constantly tormented. Uh, he was running around naked. He'd lost his mind. Self-destructive, dangerous, unpredictable. They tried to chain him, right? They didn't have the technology to restrain him. It says he would just break free from the, trains, from the chains. He was impossible to help. And Jesus frees this man of his burdens, right? His demons flee, sends them into the pigs. The pigs jump. You guys know the story, right? Last week, many of us recognized our need to be set free. And some forms of bondage, bondage to fear, just being a a general sense of of perhaps spiritual stuckness. And some of you were immediately set free. Praise God. There's crazy testimonies that that we've heard this week. Some of you are still waiting on the Lord and trusting Him for deliverance. However, there are some who maybe didn't stand, even though you're like, man, I feel like I should stand, but I don't really see myself in some huge glaring sin, or I, I don't really see myself, you know, that word bondage or slavery isn't really seeming to apply to me. In our corporate time of prayer this last Wednesday night, the Lord gave us a picture. Uh, A gal saw this and shared it with the group. She said that there were long-term Christians who have attended church forever who were here this last Sunday, prompted by God to stand, but they didn't stand up because they didn't feel like they needed deliverance. But they're stuck. They're stuck in routine or lukewarmness, and it's their stuckness that is their bondage. And and last week at prayer, uh, Joe, he's like, comes up to me right after. He's like, hey, I think, he's like, I think that there are people that were here on Sunday. 
you know, that didn't stand up. And, and I'm like, yeah, totally, you know, like, uh, we should be praying for that. Like, I'll pray for you, you know, kind of thing. And he's like, no, I think they're here right now. And I was like, oh, so, like, I'm supposed to say, I think there's someone here that didn't stand. Like, okay, I think there's someone here that didn't stand. And there's someone who was serving on Sunday who wasn't able to stand because she was serving. And so she's like, she stood up and she said, that's me. And she shared this. She's been struggling since she was a child. And she's like, God's, God wants to heal me of this and deliver me of this. And we prayed for her. We laid hands on her. I mean, the Lord is doing that right now. Meeting us in those private places. The invitation to freedom is for every Christian. Not just non-believers. Not just the super jacked up Christian. Right? This demoniac had a supernatural encounter with the living God. He was changed, freed, made brand new. And what was his first step? What did he do? Look at Mark 5, 15. It says, they came to Jesus. They saw the man who'd been demon-possessed. He's sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. The first thing they notice is he sat. It's such a good picture for us, guys. (laughs) It's good for us to see this and experience this. If you're a Christian, Christ has set you free just like he did this guy. And many of you who have been wrestling or struggling or living under or, or, or striving, and God is setting you free of that. See, Jesus set you free so that you could rest and abide in him and walk in freedom. And I can just see this guy sitting there, and he's just like, whoa, you know? And he looks up, and he has the freedom now. He has the freedom to acknowledge his own thoughts. He has the freedom to look at the color and the hue of the sky and worship God. He has the freedom to know who he is as a man. He's not oppressed. He's not under this intense psychosis brought on by the, the demon possession that had, was going on there. He's sitting in, freeman, in freedom from the oppressive activities he was forced to perform. He's sitting as if He was getting his toddler legs underneath him, getting ready to stand up and walk, but he hadn't stood yet. Christian, let this free man show you how to be free. He sat in his new freedom and in his new identity. Jesus has set you free. Church, enjoy your freedom. Just sit with God. We don't need to worry. Oh, what do I, what step do I take now? I can see this guy just being like, oh, how am I going to make money? Where am I going to live? Who's going to want to be my next door neighbor? You know, don't worry about that, right? I got a big list of stuff to worry about. Rest and enjoy the freedom that God has given you. A lot's been written about freedom, and there's a great cultural misunderstanding, I believe, regarding freedom. The great American theologian Janis Joplin wrote about freedom. (laughs) And she says that freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. That's a clever line, right? And it's a sentiment that sure seemed to ring true for many back in the 60s. But listen, freedom for freedom's sake is not freedom. Freedom is not simply having the ability to do whatever we want. True freedom is having the power to not choose slavery again. True freedom is having the power to not fall back into stuckness. A place of being stuck. See, this man sat in true freedom, enjoying the freedom that God's power and authority had given him to not fall back into slavery. And so what do we do? Rest in the finished work of Jesus. Catch your breath. Remember what it was like to be free. 
You want to like take a picture of this moment because when you start striving again, you're like, man, I want to go back to that place of freedom. He was sitting there. The second thing we see in the picture of him as he sits there is he was dressed. He was clothed. This is significant language in the Bible, being clothed. Adam and Eve became aware of their nakedness in the Garden of Eden. This man now, free from the demons and the psychotic oppression, had now become aware of his nakedness. It's an indication that he was aware of his state before other people and before God. And part of the picture we're given is a man who was formerly naked is now clothed. Now, this is something that is always like spiritual analogy that is promised throughout Scripture. In Isaiah 61, we see an example of this. Isaiah 61, uh, just mild sidebar, the first three verses of Isaiah 61 that we're about to read, this is Jesus as he stands in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. He read from Isaiah 61, 63. This was like his mission statement, his inaugural address. We'll read it now. It says, The Spirit of God... The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes. You see that exchange there? He takes the ashes the ashes, which are the result of a life that's just gone up in flames. And God exchanges this unnecessary flourish, this accessory, this thing of beauty that was meant to recognize and acknowledge someone who's important or valuable. And God exchanges the ashes of our burned-out lives for a flourish, a garland. Here sits this man who is unable to sit in peace. He's dressed in clothes, sitting there. Him being dressed is probably the most obvious change to the people that had known him, right? They are probably like, well, that guy, that, that, there's Doug out there naked running around again. Stay, you know, steer clear. And they walk up now and they're just like, well, check out Doug, you know, sitting there, dressed. And the third thing we see in that picture in Mark 5 is he had a clear mind. Clear mind. Jesus' eviction of the man's demons had completely changed his mind. Psychosis was the fruit of his condition before he had changed, was changed by Jesus. Now, l- listen, listen to the things that marked his life. He lived in fear. He lived in confusion. He lived a life of impulsive submission to destructive demons. That sounds miserable, doesn't it? But it also sounds a lot like what I read about in our current culture right now. There's many people in our culture live in fear, They live in confusion, and they live lives of impulsive submission to destructive demons, slaves to outside forces. So this is the beauty of this moment. After meeting Jesus, this man is sitting clothed in his right mind. In other words, he is the opposite of what he once was. Jesus didn't just tweak him and fix him and deal with this and give him a process and a system to work out. Jesus completely changed this man. This man was healed, released, transformed, made brand new by Jesus as an act of grace, birthed from the love of God. And God is a God of exchange. He takes things from us and he gives us better things in return. The demoniac, he exchanged his demons for freedom. In our life, he does similar transactions, exchanging our confusion for clarity, exchanging dead-end lives for true life, for purpose. 
exchanging loneliness for acceptance, insecurity, for joyful rest and peace. And God's exchanges are not fair. He exchanges extravagance for our ashes, right? Remember the, the flourish of the, of the headpiece that he... See, God doesn't just fix us. You don't need to just be fixed before Christ. You need to be made brand new. He doesn't just fix us. He gives us a brand new life. He gives us a brand new identity. But he doesn't just give us a new life. That He doesn't stop there. He also gives us power to live this life. And he doesn't just give you a new empowered life. He also gives us purpose and peace and joy. And so salvation is not just getting some help for our lives. We now have peace in our new identity and the power to walk it out. And the thing we do as we look at this demoniac and we, and we consider all that had transpired in his life and we look at our lives and we consider all that has gone on and all that the Lord is doing, we sit and we be who we are in Christ. And Christian, maybe God today is calling you to catch your breath. Just slow your roll. Catch your breath. Find rest in Jesus. Rest and receive the joy and the pleasure of being a son or a daughter of a good father. Anything good that we do for Jesus comes from a place of having been with Jesus. The fruit of freedom is formed in relationship as we rest in Jesus. You want to lead a fruitful Christian life? For many of us, that means slow down and be with Jesus. Slow down and, and rehearse, practice. It's like a little kid's play, right? They have to go through their lines a million times, and then they get up on stage and they mess it up anyway. It's the same thing with the gospel. We have to rehearse who we are in Christ because the world is going to throw all these false identities on you. Satan is a liar. And he's lying to you about who you are. You have to rehearse your identity in Christ Jesus. And so that means that this thing right here becomes extraordinary in our lives. Who are you in Christ? Christian, don't neglect the Word of God. This is where you find that. This is where you meet that holy, sacred time with God where he reminds you, you are not my servant. You're not my slave. You're not just like my hands and feet on the, on the earth. What you are is a child of God. And I want you to know me, and I want you to rest in me, and I want you to enjoy me. We find rest in Jesus. Last week, the Lord removed. We were seeing, like, just prophetic people in the church were saying, there seems to be like a cork in a funnel, and the Lord is wanting to, like, fill people up and, and, and do this work with the Holy Spirit, but it's not able to flow because of a cork. Or some people saw a hand covering a vessel, and it couldn't be filled. Last week, the Lord removed corks, pulled hands away, and did that initial work. And today, the Lord is wanting to fill his vessels. He wants to fill us up. Today, our good Father wants to fill us up so that we can pour out from full vessels. And so we sit and we receive from God and we're filled up, so to speak. 
Then we're able to live lives that are full. We're not running on empty. We're running full of the Spirit. And so when we pour out, it's not just knowledge that we poured out, right? Because we went to Awana when we were a kid or we memorized a bunch of Bible verses or something like that. No, we pour out because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with joy and peace and love and the confidence that's balanced with humility. And we're able to pour out and shine and demonstrate the love of God because the Holy Spirit is coming out of us because we've been with God and allowed ourselves to be filled. Everything in the kingdom is given so that it can be given away. Let's recognize that God is doing something awesome right now in his church. I'm not talking about this four walls of this building. We don't want to fall into the common error of believing that this building is the church. Let's recognize that God is doing something awesome in the church. He's not filling a building with his spirit. God doesn't fill perishable things with his eternal presence and his eternal love. That's not what he does. God fills eternal things with his eternal love. God created you to know him and love him and worship him now and forever. You are created in the image of God as an eternal being. And God is saying, Stand up as a child of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk into and in your new identity. Don't live in fear. What is fear? Fear is a lie from that idiot Satan. It is a lie. You don't live in fear. You live in joy and confidence, balanced with humility because it doesn't come from you. You have nothing to brag about except Jesus. You are what God is filling with His Holy Spirit. Not some building, not some place. Reality Ventura, this isn't a temple that God has built to fill up. You are the temple of God. You are the church. You are the bride of Christ. Jesus hung on the cross and let His blood pour out so that you could know Him. It is through you that God wants to pour out. And what we experience together is the presence of God, for sure. God is faithful to be with his people. But you don't have to come to Reality Ventura to experience the presence of God. You don't have to fly to Toronto. You don't have to fly wherever. All that, that's, God is with his people. You want the presence of God? Get together with other Christians. Get in the Word. Pray together. Worship together. Wednesday night, 7 p.m., come in here and pray. Come and be with us as we invite and experience the leading of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. You are what God is filling with His Holy Spirit, not some building or some, some place. We're blessed by God to know God. We're blessed by God to have Him. And the Bible teaches that we actually host God. God is, is in us and we carry God with us. We are hosts of the Holy Spirit as we live and walk through each day. This is perhaps the greatest calling in our lives, to live as a host to the living God. That when you, when you engage in a business transaction or in a conversation or when something happens and it's like, you know, the line that you're standing in closes and everyone else is like mumbling under their breath and freaking out, you're like hosting the Holy Spirit. And you have a, a, a hopeful word of joyful confidence for the people around you, right? Guys, living, the living God is with us. He's in us. This week I spoke to, to two different families 
Both of them are going through very similar things. And they, they, they described it in very similar language, which the Lord used to really connect in my heart as I've been praying for them. And they both are battling darkness. That's the vocabulary they're using. They're people in their family they're praying for and they're standing with, and they're battling darkness. And so all week I've been praying for them. I prayed with them. I've been praying for them like, God, you know, spiritual warfare prayers, like, oh, Lord, give them the weapons they need as they battle darkness and push back darkness. And at one point, as I was praying for them here in the church office, um, the Lord ministered to me, and he's like, you don't fight darkness by swinging weapons at it. You defeat darkness with light. And I think it's a good word for us today, because we don't struggle against flesh and blood. We don't fight our battles the same way that people fight one another. We let the light of Christ shine from us into the world and shine from us upon people and into the lives around us. The prophet Isaiah actually saw this hundreds, thousands of years actually before it happened. In Isaiah chapter 60, he describes uh, what he calls a glorified Zion, which really is his language for a people upon whom the Lord had rested or in whom a people the, uh, the Lord had inhabited. He says this in Isaiah chapter 60, Verses 1 and 2. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. That's a heavy picture right there. Darkness will cover the earth, but deep darkness will cover the people. He says, but, this is verse 2, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. See, what Isaiah would say to us today, if he were to cruise in here, he'd be like, turn on the light, church. Let Jesus shine in all of his glory in you and through you. Again, what is happening in us is due to the presence of God. The presence of God is shining upon his people, is, is working in his people. God is shining and he's given us freedom. And he's leading us in freedom. Freedom from falling back. Freedom from, from going back into fear. Freedom from anxiety. This is a work that Jesus began by speaking creation into existence. This is an ancient work. It's a work that Jesus is sustaining. And we know because we study the Bible that it is a work that Jesus will complete. Period. It's a finished work. And so we don't fall back into anxiety because God is with us. We don't fall back into fear because God is with us and God is love. And God's perfect love casts out fear. Remember, rehearse who you are, Christian. We don't go back to familiar places of bondage. We don't go back to familiar places of like, yeah, I know God is enough, but when I get home, I need to do this in order to unwind, right? God's like, no, I want to be the God of that also. I don't want you to be stuck in these little things that you've got set for yourself and you can't operate outside of, right, living room theology. God's like, I am a God of the nations and I'm sending people to the nations. And, and so we live outside of our living room theology. We don't go back to familiar places of bondage because God is teaching us to walk. Remember? Strong, good dad. Fat, weak legs. We're the, we're the second one. And so we walk by faith. We take measured steps of faith. We measure our steps because we allow our good father to help move our wobbly legs. Like that, like that baby learning to walk. 
We enjoy Jesus. We enjoy, we receive, daily receive the new life and the new identity you've been given. Like a kid at Christmas, just like, you know, you sit there just geeking out over whatever. Like just allow yourself to be in awe of who God is and who God has made you to be in Christ Jesus. We shine as lights in a dark world. Christian, it is vital that you walk in freedom. And so let's worship. We're made to know God, to love God, and to worship God, not just today and tomorrow and as long as God wants us alive on this earth, but forever in all of eternity. And so as we rehearse the gospel, we're rehearsing for what we get to walk out for all of eternity. Let's sit in the presence of God today. Allow the Lord to fill you with joy and confidence that you would know that you are a child of God. Let the Lord take up residence in every part of your heart and mind and body. Now, I know some of you are like, no, I'm a Christian. I know God's already taken up residence. Yeah, he, he might have like this part, but he, does he have the west wing, right? Does he, have, does he have the foyer? Does God have all of your heart and your mind? Are you worshiping the Lord with all of your strength? Let's, let's trust God. Let's allow God to meet us in those places. God wants to deliver us. If you're stuck today, man, this, I know these just look like carpets we bought at Ikea or something. And they are. But what they really are, what they really are, this is like a surgical suite. This is where we get wheeled in and the Holy Spirit like does work on our hearts. Because this isn't like the most comfortable place for you to be, right? This is a place where we get to put ourselves before God in a position of worship, in a posture of worship. And if you feel like maybe you're stuck somewhere, I want to encourage you, the best thing you can do is worship the living God. Exalt the living God. Invite the living God into your drama, into your mess. God is way more gracious than I am. He's like, yes, I want to go there, right? The people in your life, they might want to sort of go there. They might want to kind of hear about it because it's juicy tidbits. God wants to go all the way in, get around it, and pull it out, and then throw it into the abyss. That's what this carpet is for. Get in here and allow the Lord to extract that stuff and throw it into the abyss. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill those places. Fill those places of identity that are occupied by other things, by other ways of thinking, by other comparisons. Worship the living God. And as we abide and trust and surrender more of ourselves to Him, He will continue the good work that He has begun. Amen? Let's pray. You're so good, Lord, to, to work in us and to meet with us. God, you, who are we? <laughs> who are we, Lord? Thank you for meeting with us, God. We pray now, God, for the confused. We pray now for the, those lacking joy, the joyless Christian. We pray for the, the people who might seem meek, but in their identity, it's, it's just weakness. Pray for those of us that are still trying to earn our place at the table. Pray for those of us that have our eyes on other people and we're just critical about the smallest thing that they say. 
and we just spew death and condemnation, I pray in Jesus' name that you would break that identity. That you would deliver us from the false places our mind lives, the false places our hearts live, the false places that we walk in, the false things that we do to pacify ourselves or or stimulate ourselves. Just pray in Jesus' name for deliverance. Holy Spirit, we pray for deliverance today, for freedom today, that we would be a people who walk as we were created to walk in the image of God, with God, for the glory of God. Pray that you would do that work. Wake us up tonight, God. Show us the work that you're doing in us. And we just, right now, God, we pray. We just pray by faith. We say we are willing, Lord. Here we are, God. Do your work. Fill up your vessels today. In Jesus' name, amen.